Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, that was Sharon's first time. Didn't she do awesome? Let's give her a hand. Hey, when you walked in here this morning, you should have received a little tag, which is our memory verse uh, that we've been working at uh, over the last few Sundays. And so um, if you have not uh, received that, uh, you can stop by, uh, guess uh, the resource table, and uh, they'll get one for you. And if today's your first Sunday that you're here and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, if you just stop by the resource table, we have a little keychain for you, and we've been trying to encourage people to uh, memorize uh, one verse of Scripture uh, throughout the week. Now, my three-year-old um, has done the first week. Um, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. Now, if she can do it, anybody can do it, okay? So stop by the resource table, and uh, we'll, be get, uh, we'll get connected that way. Uh, several years ago, my wife Jennifer uh, thought it would be a great idea if we changed all the light bulbs in our house from halogen bulbs to those energy-efficient bulbs that are fluorescent that look like this. And her idea was, was we would become a more green family and uh, we would save you know, money on our electric bill and all that kind of good stuff. And the only problem was she didn't go to Lowe's to get them. She sent me. So when I got to Lowe's, you kind of got to look through all of these different bulbs to find out which one is the highest efficiency. And so uh, I wanted to honor my wife and, uh, you know, be able to be more green. So I got all these bulbs. And we went back home. And I changed all the light bulbs uh, in uh, the house and put these new high energy efficiency bulbs in. And uh, we even did it in our garage uh, where the garage door was. There's a little light there, and so uh, we just put them everywhere. We went out to eat that night, and we're driving back, and I pushed the little button to put our garage door open. And as we got ready to pull in the garage, this is what it looked like. (laughs) Those little fluorescent bulbs, folks, that are supposed to save you energy, and they're supposed to do all that, which maybe I haven't found the right one. But from my experience, they're about a third of the power of a regular light bulb. And so as we're sitting there, and I'm like, do you see these bulbs, Jen? She's like, I know, isn't it great for being, you know, high green energy people? I'm like, no, they're duds, they're wimpy. And, you know, being the man of the house, I just got out of the car and went inside and just didn't change anything back to the old bulbs. And we've learned to read with much less light in our house, basically. Now, here's the point to all of that. It's this. The brighter the bulb, folks, the clearer you see. Isn't that right? The brighter the bulb, the clearer you see. I mean, brightness increases clarity. The more light, the more you can see. That's why when you get your picture taken, um, you don't want all the light there. 
Because if you have all the light everywhere, it's going to show everything on your face. Every blemish, every wrinkle, every pimple, everything on there that looks bad is going to show up if you make it too bright. Now, you don't want a lot of light when you're getting your picture taken. You want it to be as dark as possible so you look better. That's why we've changed the lights the way that it is. So I look better to you guys. You know, the more light, the more it is clear. And this is true when it comes uh, to this book, too, the Bible. The reality is, is that if you read this book, it could simply be a book that you read that has words on a piece of paper. Or it could be that if your mind is enlightened and there's more light, if it's illuminated, that all of a sudden you might get something out of this book that is greater than you could ever do simply by reading it. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about illumination. Now, here's the definition, and you can pull out your teaching outline. It'll be the first thing that uh, you fill in. But in your teaching outline, what is the definition of illumination? And this is it. Letting the Holy Spirit show me the meaning of God's Word and how it applies to my life. You let the Holy Spirit show me the meaning of God's Word and how it applies to my life. You see, before Jesus went back to heaven after He had been here uh, in, before He ascended to heaven, He said, I'm going to leave something for you. He said, I'm going to leave my Spirit that will be in you, and will be with you. In fact, uh, the Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate God's words into your life. That you can see things in this book that you couldn't see on your own unless the Holy Spirit was guiding your thoughts and your mind. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, folks, you're going to miss a lot that's in this book. It's kind of like Christmas. Christmas is coming up pretty soon, and many of you will buy toys for your kids or your grandkids. And when you buy the toy, uh, many times on the box outside, it says, batteries not included. And you're like, ah, great, now I've got to go buy some batteries, you know. This kid's costing me a lot more money than just this toy. Now, a toy without batteries included is still a toy. The only issue is is that there's no power to make that toy reach its full potential. Because you've got to have the power to make the little toy run. And in the same way, it's the Holy Spirit's job to give you the power to interpret, to understand, and apply the things in this book to your life. Let me show you some verses on this. The first one's in uh, John 14, 26. Jesus said this, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit will teach you, he'll remind you that when you open this up and you say, Holy Spirit, I want to know what you want, that the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you everything that Jesus taught. John 14, 17, Jesus said this, He is the Holy Spirit and he leads you into what? All truth. Not some truth, not a little truth, all truth. Ephesians 1, 17, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you His Spirit. The Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. You might want to circle that little phrase, let you understand. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's job is, is to let you understand. The Holy Spirit will make you wise. It will let you understand what it means to know God. Again, the Holy Spirit is just the Spirit of Jesus that was left when He ascended back to heaven. And the Holy Spirit is batteries included. It's kind of like when you start reading this, that the batteries included are the Holy Spirit illuminating things so that you actually hear from God and you're not just reading words on a page. You see, folks, this book right here is supernatural. It's supernatural. There's no other book in the world like it. But it's not just supernatural because it's God's words. But the other supernatural thing about it is that this is the only book that you can open up and you can start reading it and all of a sudden you can actually talk to the author. Just think about that. There's no other book that you can ever read where you talk to the author. I mean... I guess if they're dead and you get in some weird ghostly thing like, Oh, Edgar Allan Poe, come here, please. You know? But you don't do that. But when you're reading the Bible, you can actually say, Ah, can, can you show me what difference this could make, God? Could, could you illuminate this? Could you um, challenge me? What do you want me to uh, work on this week in my life? What can I apply to it? And this is what the Holy Spirit does. It whispers things to you. It tells you, hey, look at that again. It gives you an image. gives you a thought. gives you some type of an idea. And it's like you're reading and then all of a sudden, whammo! Man, I never saw that before. Oh, I need that so bad because I've been so angry lately. And now it's helping me to maybe not be so angry. And you see something, and you have this aha moment. It happened to me this week. I was reading our uh, little journal that we have with all of our small group studies. If you're not in a small group yet, I'd encourage you to do so. But in one of the little studies that we had, it gave a passage of Scripture in Mark. Mark chapter uh, 9, verses 33 to 35. And when I came to the verse, it said this, If anyone would be first... He must be last of all and servant of all. Now, what is the word that he's used twice in that scripture? What? All. I've read this hundreds of times. I've taught on it. I know that the last will be first. I know that we're to serve people. But this time, when I was reading it this week, all of a sudden, because I asked the Holy Spirit before I ever opened it up to guide me to what I need to know, all of a sudden, that word all came to me. 
It said all. And I was just thinking about it, that I don't like to be last of all. I mean, if we're in a line with my two kids, I'll knock them out of the way so I can get in the front, you know? I like to win things. And I don't like to be the servant of all. And you know what I sensed when I was asking God to reveal me some truth? He said, the problem with you, Chris, is you don't want to be the servant of all. You just want to be the servant of some. You ever do that before? It's kind of like maybe a person's too needy. Or they have a lot of stuff going on. Or they're a different color of skin. Or they have a different nationality. Or they look different. And you're like, no, I'm not going to serve that. And I was so convicted in the midst of that, that I was to be last of all, and I was to be servant of all. And you know why? Because the Scripture goes on to say that if you do that, great is your reward. Great is your reward. God doesn't ask you to do things because He wants to punish you and make you feel bad and feel like you're the loser all the time. He does things because He wants you to be a success in His kingdom world. And being last of all and servant of all means something. And I was so convicted in my spirit. All, Chris, all, every person. And would you know, that particular day, I got a phone call from someone that wanted me to help with another person that was going through stuff. And at first I was like, ah, come on, God, I don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden it just hit me like, And then God did such a cool thing. But it wouldn't have happened, folks, if it wasn't illuminated by the Holy Spirit. You see, folks, this book changes lives. The problem is, most of the time, we don't take enough time to read it to allow it to do the change that it needs. Well, today, I want you to understand how you can allow this book to be illuminated in your eyes and for your life to be changed. And so we're going to look at uh, how do we open our eyes so that we see what God wants us to see. You see, uh, my, right now you all look blurry, which some of you might be good, like good, didn't look very good this morning anyway. But when I put this on, all of a sudden you come into clear focus because now I have power through my glasses to be able to see you. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit gives you power to see what God wants you to see with spiritual eyes. So what happens when God opens our eyes? Well, first of all, I see solutions to my problems. When God opens your eyes, you see solutions to your problems. That's one of the benefits that you get, is that you see solutions to your problems. Now, we're going to look at a story uh, today that I think uh, focuses in on this and will be a benefit to you. It's in Genesis chapter 21. It's the uh, very uh, first book of the Bible, and in chapter 21, uh, we're going to look at this story. Now, this story has uh, five characters in it. There's Abraham and Sarah, and a lady named Hagar, and uh, two kids, Ishmael and Isaac. And the story begins as God promises Abraham that he is going to be the leader of a great nation. And that God would give him a son to be the heir 
of the nation. So he could pass on his legacy to the next person. There's only one problem. When God gave this to Abraham, it didn't happen immediately. In fact, it took years and years and decades. And finally, Abraham was 90 years of age and he still doesn't have a son. And that's kind of bad in this culture because your kids were your social security. Like if our kids were our social security now, many of you would just die. You know what I mean? Like they would just leave you. But in that culture, your kids were your social security. They took care of you as you got older. Plus, this was a big test for Abraham. Because he had, he had heard the promise decades ago, but it still hadn't be, been fulfilled yet. But that wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that his wife Sarah was in her 90s as well, and she's like, Abraham, this is a problem. I'm 90, you know? I mean, like, how many 90-year-olds have you seen lately just pop out a baby? You know? Just pop one out and you're like, whoa, cool, you're 90. No, if you're 90, things start, like, you know, drying up. And, you know, things don't happen. I'm not a medical expert, but I'm married to one. She told me this. No, I'm joking. But if you're 90, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're not going to have a baby. And Sarah's like, this isn't going to happen. So Sarah's like, well, this isn't going to happen, but we can do a plan B. And so she comes up with this plan B. She goes, Abraham, why don't you do this? Why don't you go take my assistant, my handmaiden, Hagar, and she'll become kind of our um, surrogate mother. You go ahead and you have sex with her and you'll have a baby. And of course, Abraham's like any man. Yeah! Don't send me emails this week, okay? But he's like, yeah, no problem. You know, I'm, I'm your man, Sarah, you know. So Hagar gets pregnant with Abraham's child, and this is not a part of God's plan. It's not a part of his plan at all. It's Sarah's plan. Little baby is born. It's a beautiful baby. They name him Ishmael. Ishmael begins to grow up, and Abraham actually holds Ishmael up and says, God, thank you so much for this promised gift. And God looks down upon him and says, Ah, this isn't the one I promised you. This isn't the miracle baby. That wasn't my plan. That was Sarah's plan. He's not the miracle baby. And later, by a miracle, the 90-year-old Sarah actually has a baby, and they name him Isaac, who becomes the father of the Jewish nation. And by the way, Ishmael, guess what he becomes the father of? All of the Arab nations. So every Arab country that you can think of today, their father is Ishmael. Well, after uh, Sarah has Isaac, she gets upset and she starts getting jealous. And she starts thinking, well, if Ishmael was the firstborn, then he's going to get all the inheritance and Isaac isn't going to get anything. She's like, no way, this isn't going to happen. And so she kicks Hagar out and she kicks out 
Ishmael, and she says, you're no longer welcomed here. Go! And then in verse 14, it says this. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and skin of water. That's how they made canteens. They would take uh, skin of animals and form it into a canteen. And they gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and they sent her off with the boy. In other words, it's not just Sarah that's kicking her out. Abraham says, you're gone too. She went on her own and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. I mean, think how horrible that would be, those of you that are moms especially. You have this baby, you're in the middle of the desert, you have no food, and now you've run out of water. And she's so distraught that she's like, I can't watch him die in my arms. I just will put him underneath a bush. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. She's rejected by Sarah, she's rejected by Abraham, and now she feels like she's rejected by God. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will, take him in, for I will make him into a great nation. And he did. He, uh, all of the Arab nations go back to Ishmael. Then in verse 19 it says this. Let's read these next uh, five words together. Then God opened her eyes. You might want to circle that. God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin, her canteen, with water and gave the boy a drink. And they survived. And Ishmael went on and he has become the father of the Arab, uh, of Arabic nation. Now here's the point, folks. Hagar had the solution right in front of her. The only problem was she didn't have the eyesight to see it. She couldn't see it until God opened her eyes, until God like said, okay, it's all blurry, you can't see anything now, but now I'm going to send the power so you see that I am the one who will provide for you and I give a solution to your problem. Now, I don't know what problem you're going through today, but I'm almost guaranteed that every single person here probably has some problem that they're going through in their life. And you might have such a problem with what you're saying, frankly, I don't see any way around this. There's no answer to this. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen. I just keep hitting a, wall, a solid wall. I see no solution. Well, if you're there... What needs to happen is you need something to be illuminated in your life. You can't see it on your own, but the Holy Spirit can give you power as you read through this that you can find solutions to the problems of your life. He will give you spiritual eyes so that you can see. Because the reality is, folks, there are some problems that you're going to have in your life that you can't figure out the solution on your own. 
If you could have, you would have done it a long time ago. And you just find yourself keep bumping up against a brick wall. And God's like, let me illuminate it for you. Open up my word. Ask the Holy Spirit and allow me to guide you so that there can be solutions to your problems. You see, folks, you don't need human eyes sometimes. What you need is the eyes of God to give you a viewpoint that comes directly from Him. And God does that. And He wants to do that. He doesn't want you to be blind. He wants your eyes to be open so you can see. So that's the first benefit. He opens our eyes but we must so that we can see a solution to our problems. Second benefit of opening our eyes is this. I see the barrier to my progress. I see the barrier to my progress. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, you know what, I don't necessarily have a huge problem, but there are just some things I want to do in my life, some things I want to accomplish. You've been wanting to start a business or start a family or get out of debt, or you've got some goal, or you've got a, 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 a dream that you want to see happen. And maybe you've been trying to progress in it, but you just keep on slamming up against some invisible wall. It's like the harder that you try, it just doesn't seem to work. And you're like, I don't get it. I'm working hard. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm trying to follow God in the ways that I can. Well, you need to have your eyes open. And you need some illumination. Now the story that gives us the best example of this is found uh, in Numbers chapter 22. And it's the story of Balaam. Now Balaam was a prophet. He was a man of God, a, a pastor. But Balaam decided one day that he didn't want to follow God's path. He wanted to follow the path of the bad guys of the people who were false prophets, who were not following God. And God says to Balaam, Hey, just wait a minute. I've been trying to train you and groom you and have you follow in this direction, but, but you don't want to go that way. What's the problem? Why are you going with the bad guys? Balaam's like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. And so he keeps on heading that way. So God puts an angel in his path to try to block his progress. The only problem is, is that Balaam can't see the angel. He's put this angel up, it's going to block the progress, but he can't see it. He puts up a barrier. So Balaam's heading on this journey to follow the bad guys, and we pick up the story in verse 22. It says this, But God was furious that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey can see it, but Balaam can't. And the donkey bolted off the road into a field. He's out of fear. This isn't that bizarre. Some of you might think it is, but... Have you ever had a dog before who is in your house or a storm is getting ready to come and you don't even know that the storm, you know, the weatherman's got all, and all of a sudden that dog starts barking or something or, or someone that is, is a long way away and all of a sudden the, the dog's, because animals can sense things, sense things sometimes that people can't. 
And so the donkey sees this. He bolts off into the field. But Balaam beat the donkey to get back on the road. Now this is kind of funny, isn't it? Here's the donkey. The donkey sees exactly what's going on. But Balaam, the big prophet, the man of God, he doesn't see it. So a second time it says, Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. It's a very narrow area. And the angel of the Lord is in the middle of this. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it tried to squeeze by the angel, and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. Folks, you always get hurt when you try to do something that God doesn't want you to do. Let me say that again. You always get hurt when you try to do something God doesn't want you to do. We experience pain. We feel hurt. We get our foot crushed or our feelings crushed or our relationships crushed. Balaam doesn't see what's going on, so he looks at the donkey and he's like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to break my, my leg here? What is your problem? He kicks the donkey. He gets all mad at the donkey because it's the donkey's fault. He's angry. Third time it says, Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place to narrow, so narrow that the donkey could not get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. That's a smart donkey, isn't it? I mean, if you see something that has a sword, and it's angelic, and it's coming after you, or it's pointed to get you, you don't just keep going, I think I'll just keep on walking. No, you stop. And the donkey's like, forget that, I'm down on the ground. And in a fit of rage, what happens? Balaam beat the donkey again with his staff. Then in verse 31 it says this, Then the Lord, what's it say? Opened Balaam's eyes. You might want to circle that. He opened Hagar's eyes. Now he opened Balaam's eyes. He opened Balaam's eyes. That's illumination, folks. When God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, opens your eyes, and now Balaam saw what the problem was. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword to his hand. And when he finally sees what's going on, Balaam sat down on the ground before him. Once Balaam's eyes are opened, he's like, oh, this is God's messenger. And he bows down and he worships God. Now, folks, I admit, it's a very, very strange story. Maybe one of the strangest ones in all of the Old Testament. But here's the point. If you have plans in your life that aren't working, there's plans in your life that aren't working, and you go this way and it gets blocked, and you go that way and it gets blocked, guess what? God may not be wanting you to go down that particular pathway. And if you find yourself going this way and it gets blocked, and going that way and it gets blocked, and then you start getting angry, and you yell at your wife, or you yell at your husband, you yell at your kids, you're mad at your parents, you're mad at your friends, you're mad at your family, you're beating your donkey. You're mad at everybody else, 
and you can't see what the real problem is, you know what it is? That God is blocking your path. God is. And why does God put barriers up? Because He doesn't love us? Because He doesn't want a relationship? No. It's because He loves us so much. There have been so many times in which pathways have been blocked or barriers have been put up in my life. And I don't see it at the time because I'm beating the donkey or I'm yelling at everybody else. But after a while, I'm like, ah, he opened my eyes. I get it. He says, I'm not going to let you go down a road and be hurt. Folks, when your progress is being blocked, you have one of two choices. One, beat the donkey. Or two, ask God to open your eyes. I mean, you can either get mad at everybody else around you, your husband, your wife, your kids, or you can just simply say, God, I want you to open my eyes. And you allow him to open your eyes, then you can see the solution to your problems, and you can see the barriers to your progress. Here's a third benefit. Uh, to God opening our eyes and illuminating our mind. And it is, I see God is walking with me. I see how God is actually walking with me. I don't know what you're going through today. Typically, I know that 50% of every, of every crowd of people, that some people are going through some tough stuff. They're hurting. One of every two of us. You might feel all alone. You might feel like you're in this battle by yourself. You might uh, feel like maybe God isn't even there. That you kind of feel like God is a million miles away. But I just want you to know, if you feel that way, it's okay to have that feeling, but you're wrong. God has never left you, and He never will. He walks beside you constantly. Even when you can't see him, it doesn't mean that he isn't there. It just means that you need your eyes to be illuminated. I think the story that best illustrates this is found in Luke chapter 24. It's the story of what happened on the day in which Jesus rose from the dead, the very first Easter. Now what led up to this point is really important to remember. At the age of 30, uh, Jesus starts his public ministry And uh, for three years, he teaches, he preaches, he heals, and he gets a group of people that follow him. Well, the Jewish leaders get ticked off about that because they are upset that he's getting the attention, and they're not. And so what he does is that uh, they arrest him. They arrest Jesus, they beat him, they whip him, they torture him. Finally, they actually put him on a cross. He's crucified. He dies, physical death, and then they bury him in a tomb. And at this point, all of these disciples were crushed. And they're thinking, we thought this guy was God. We thought he was telling us the truth. But now, he's dead, he's gone. And if the Roman soldiers went after him, who's to say they're not coming after us too? And so they all run away. They all flee. And they're confused and they're sad. And they're grieving the loss of their leader. Plus they're fearful 
because they wonder if the Romans are going to come after them next. But then, on Easter morning, some women go to the tomb and they find out that the tomb has been broken up, that the door has been passed away, that the body is gone. And there are two angels that are there saying, He's not here. He's risen. He's not dead. He's alive. And the word starts to spread like wildfire. The, the women run out and it, it starts here and then it starts there. And pretty soon it's like everywhere. But there are some of the disciples who just aren't quite convinced. In fact, a couple of them are starting to walk away towards uh, this place called Emmaus. They leave Jerusalem, they're heading towards this place called Emmaus, when all of a sudden, Jesus actually shows up as a stranger walking right beside them, but they don't notice him. The story goes on to say this, Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them, but they didn't know who he was, because God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus said, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written on their faces. Then Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. (laughs) Don't you find that funny? You're not laughing. Do you get it? He is like right beside them. He's the one that they're all talking about. And when they say, well, have you heard about... And he's like, oh, what things? He's playing dumb. And the disciples said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had thought he was the Messiah. They're like, we thought he was God, but he's dead now. We thought he was God, but he's dead. We thought he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago. Then they continued. Then some women were at the tomb early this morning and came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen the angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of the men ran out to see and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone just as the women had said. So these guys are totally confused. They're like, what is going on? They haven't seen Jesus, even though he's walking right beside them. He's been walking with them for hours. But they really don't know what to believe. Then Jesus said to them, you are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his time of glory, then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses. In other words, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just think Jesus starts quoting exactly who he is and what he's going to do. 
And then he goes to all the prophets in the Old Testament, explaining what all the scriptures said about him. That's why I've said the last couple of weeks, folks, the Old Testament isn't old and we don't look at it. The Old Testament points to Jesus because it's about Jesus. Then it says, by this time they, these two disciples of Jesus, were nearing Emmaus and the end of their... Good? Okay. No longer red, but green. Um, Okay. And they sat down to eat, and Jesus took a small loaf of bread, just as he did in the Last Supper. He asked God's blessing on it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then verse 31. Suddenly, what's it say? Their eyes were open. Hagar's eyes were open. Balaam's eyes were open. Now these two disciples' eyes are opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. Folks, this is mind-blowing. Just think about it. First, they thought he was God, but then he died, and they're like, I'm not so sure now, but no, 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 no. They they say that women saw that he has been resurrected, but they're still not sure they can believe it. And then a stranger comes alongside them and starts walking with them. And they walk for many hours together, and they don't recognize him. But then when they come to his house, he gets ready to break the bread. And at that moment, they're like, wow, that's him. Like, that's really, really him. He's alive. He's not dead. It's Jesus. Holy guacamole, you know? And they're like, wow. And then just as quickly, bam, he disappears. That's what you call illumination, folks. In their grief, they couldn't see. They had had this enormous loss. And they couldn't see. They just couldn't make it. They needed illumination. You know, I was kind of thinking about it, that we're coming up on Thanksgiving and and Christmas. And those are great times to spend with family and friends, but sometimes when you've lost something in a year, holidays can be the, the hardest time. I was just thinking that probably every single person here has lost something in this past year. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you lost your health. Maybe you lost a relationship. Maybe you lost your job. But whatever it is, you're kind of grieving, especially as you look to the holidays. And you can't see every single step because you're, you're blinded by the grief. But in every single step, Jesus has been walking right beside you. He doesn't walk away from you. He walks beside you. You have never been by yourself. 
God is walking with you, and your eyes are blinded, and you cannot see it. But, folks, illumination is so important because as we read God's Word, it opens up. And it's not just books on a page. Then all of a sudden, God opens your eyes, and you're like, whammo! You see the solution to your problems. You see the barrier to your progress. You see that He has been walking with you all along. Now, I'm sure some of you are asking right now, well, how do I get that? Like, how do I get some illumination in my life? And just kind of rapid fire, I want to give you four things here real quick. The first one's kind of obvious. If you want illumination in your life to see things that God wants you to see, I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, if you don't have this one, you're spiritually blind. And you don't have any hope of seeing what God wants you to see. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not trying to make anyone feel awkward. I know there's many that are seeking or searching God. We're, we're, that's the kind of church we want to be. But I'm telling you, you'll never have illumination in your life, and you'll never see what God wants you to see until you get that one done first in that first connection. Because it's not simply knowing about Jesus, because there are many people that know about Jesus, but it's about knowing him personally. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to be born again. You must accept his gift of salvation, of abundant life. He wants to give this to you. Until you do that, you're just spiritually blind. Without this relationship, you will never see the things that God wants you to see in your life. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The man or the woman without the spirit, that is, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you haven't accepted him as Lord, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Folks, your eyes are blinded and you don't have a connection with God. That's why we're having the baptism class like in just a few minutes. Child care is provided. There is uh, food that you can eat. You'll be done before the first quarter of the Colts game is done. But for some of you, I, I just want to be straight up and serious. I can't think of anything you should do than to go to that class. You've sat there. You've thought about it. You've prayed about it. You've talked about it. You know that God's been kind of pressing you to say, hey, you've accepted me. Now take this step. Make it public. And the choice is up to you. A second way to get our eyes opened by God is I must come with a humble attitude. I must come with a humble attitude. If I come to God and I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm reading this. Oh, I got it. I got it, God. I know how to handle my finances. I know how to handle my marriage. I know how to handle my kids. I know how to handle everything. I really don't need God's help in these areas. Then you're not going to get anything. And your eyes are going to be closed. God can't open up your eyes if you have that kind of attitude. So he says you've got to have a humble attitude. Psalm 25 says this. He guides. That's what some of you need. You need guidance. I need guidance this week. 
He guides the humble. If you'll be humble before God, he'll guide you. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. And then kind of my life verse, the one that uh, speaks to me more, that I try to live out in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord, not yourself, not somebody else, not your finances, not anything else. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in everything. When you wake up, when you go to bed, when you go to work. Every area of your life, acknowledge him, and he will make your what? He'll make your path straight. In other words, he'll make you a success. He wants you to be successful. A third way to have your eyes opened by God is I must cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. I must cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. I cannot get my eyes opened if my body and mind is full of junk. Let me say that again. I cannot get my eyes opened if my body and my mind is full of junk. That's why Jesus said this. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? See God. You've got to be pure to be able to see him. Now, folks, pure does not mean perfect. Okay? We're all going to mess up, screw up, flub up in this thing called life. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. If you're perfect, you should leave this church because this is not a perfect church. Go find another perfect church somewhere. But what purity means is this. I'm caught up today on my confession. There's nothing between God and me. I'm caught up on my confession. Yeah, God, I was wrong in that and you were right. I just confess it. I don't allow garbage to pile up in my life. I confess it immediately. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. In other words, folks, you can't be looking at porn one time and two hours later you open up the Bible and you're like, oh, God, I want you to speak to me. He's like, no, 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 no. You get that cleaned up first. Or if you're a female, you can't, you know, be reading 50, what's it called again? 50 Shades of Grey. Woo! Gets me all just hot thinking about it. You can't be reading 50 Shades of Grey and thinking that you're going to live that life. And then you go over to try to read the Bible next time after that and go, okay, God, film me, film me. He's like, nah, you get that cleaned up first. So I cleanse my heart from sin, but I also have to cleanse my heart from conflict also. 1 John 2.11 says this, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. That means if there is a, something relationally out of whack in my life, I'm not going to get anything out of the Bible. You can't have your relationship all messed up and think you're going to get something out of the Bible. Let me give you an example this morning. Last night, uh, Jennifer wanted me to listen to her. But I'm a fixer. I know how to fix things, you know. That's my job. And the more I was trying to fix her, the more she was not enjoying the fix. 
And things didn't go so well. And we worked everything out and we went to bed. But this morning, when I got up and I was praying to God, I was like, you know, God, is there any sin in my life? He's like, yeah, boy. He's like, you need to ask your wife again. Are we good? And so this morning, before I walked uh, out of the house, hey, are we good? I'm sorry for whatever that is. You see, if you have an argument, you can't do that. And then all of a sudden, okay, God, go ahead. Bless me. Tell me what you want me to do. It's not going to happen. Because the Bible says you cannot be right with God and then wrong with someone in your life. You cannot love God and then hate someone else. You cannot be reconciled to God but not be reconciled to others. If there's a relational conflict, some of you need to hear this. If there is a relational conflict, God is not going to speak to you. He's not going to bless your life. So for some of you, not going to read the Bible this afternoon. You don't need to do that. You know what you need to do? You need to pick up the phone, text something, send an email, write a letter, ask for forgiveness, seek forgiveness. You may delete, need to let somebody off the hook and say, I'm not going to be bitter or resentful anymore. Because until you do, you are just going to be blinded. And you cannot see if you don't have spiritual eyes. Last thing. I must commit in advance to do what God says. I must commit in advance to do what God says. This is the unconditional obedience. This is where you just say, God, I'm ready to sit down here. I want you to teach me right now. I'm going to open up this book. I'm going to read it. I want you to teach me. I want you to give me wisdom on how to love my wife, how to love my husband, how to love my kids, how to do something in work. I really want you to help me right now in the midst of this. And I'm telling you, even if I don't understand it, even if it is easy, even if I don't agree with it, I'm saying yes, even before you tell me what to do. In Psalm 19, it says this, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, and I will keep them. You teach me, God, and I'll do it. Whatever you want, my answer is yes. Give me understanding, and I will keep your laws and obey it with all my heart. Whatever you say, God, I'm going to act upon it. I just wonder if some of you would say today, if you would pray today, that, God, my answer is yes today. No matter what you tell me to do this week. Because when you do that, then you have spiritual eyes. Let's stand for closing prayer. And if our prayer team, if uh, both of them can kind of come up, if you'd like prayer for anything uh, after uh, the celebration, they'll be up here uh, to pray uh, for you. And so anything you need prayer for, we want to be here. And I thought the way we'd kind of close it is that I'm going to say a prayer. And I'd just like that to be your prayer uh, for this week. That uh, although I'll be saying it, that you kind of connect with God, that you make um, it your words. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for walking with me every single day. Even when I don't see you, God, it doesn't mean that you're not there. Because the Bible tells us that 
you are with us always. Thank you for forgiving me of the wrongs that I've done. And open my eyes, God, in a fresh way that as I read the Bible this week and as I hear from you that you would illuminate my eyes. God, I want to acknowledge you in every area of my life. I can't change what happened yesterday, but today I want to acknowledge you in every area of my life. I don't want to walk around in the dark anymore not knowing where I'm going. So I'm telling you in advance right now, God, whatever you want me to do, if I need to call somebody, if I need to forgive somebody, if I need to accept you today as Lord, if I need to go to the baptism class, God, you speak the word and I'll obey. So, Holy Spirit, come move in people's lives. Change them for your honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Uh, If you're new, we have a free gift for you from Guest Connections. Just stop there. You don't have to stay long. But if you stop, we got a gift for you. And have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Gravity